Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with one of my favorite guests, multiple-time guests, Chris Hinshaw, to talk about learning how to swim. Now, here's the way this conversation got brought up. I text Chris, I'm like, hey, man, I could use some help on some swim workouts. I want to do some. I want to introduce a few of the athletes that I work uh, with for jiu-jitsu to swimming. What advice do you have? And before you start talking, I was like, no, 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 hang on. Let me, let's get on the podcast. Let's share this because he has such a wealth of knowledge. Now, if you don't know who Chris Hinshaw is, he is a world renowned coach. He teaches seminars all over the world, has worked with the highest level athletes to everyday people going to the gym. He also competed professionally as a triathlete for years, and he helped me a ton along my CrossFit journey. I always love talking to Chris. He has tons of value. Today, we talk about breathing mechanics, swimming with fins, swimming with, you know, hand things. We talk about what distances to incorporate, basically from start to finish, how to start doing your swim workouts. We also, towards the end of the episode, and this is something I was particularly intrigued on, start telling us this idea of critical swim speed, and then which form of cardio gives you the best bang for your buck, run, bike, or swim. So stay tuned in the episode to see what Chris says. Now, before we get into the episode, simple ask. Whether you're on Instagram, Facebook, you don't, you name it, Tag us, hit us up, let us know, Chris and I, what you thought about the episode. And also, whether you're listening to us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, would really appreciate a rating, a review. Takes you a short amount of time, but really, really means a lot to the podcast, means a lot to me. Would love to hear your feedback. So if you can, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and hit us up on social media. Let us know what you thought about this episode and perhaps other episodes. Now, without any further ado, Let's dive into a great episode, Chris Hinshaw, on learning how to swim and all things swim workout related. Let's get it. Ah, first time I'd ever seen that before. All right, Mr. Chris Hinshaw, the, um, I, you know, I'm going to butcher this. The sanctionals just finished up, right? Sanctionals. <laughs> You're so dated. I'm going to butcher this. Um, say, they're not called sanctionals, but okay, go on. Well, the semifinals, the semifinals, okay. semifinals yes. just finished up for the CrossFit games. And yes. I wanted to ask you a question because uh, I, I have to ask, um, I saw what Scott Pancheck wrote about the oh, ropes boy. and yeah. it's really interesting because so today's topic, by the way, this podcast is about swimming workouts and how to design them. And I'm really excited to talk about that. But Me I was too. curious what your thoughts were about how the semifinal events went and if you had any visibility and all that, and then what they could do about these ropes in the future, because it seems like it's a, like a, just kind of a well-known thing that hmm. what, to, to Dude, you're, surprised. you're popping this on me. How'd you know that I, I have a, an opinion about this? Well, I just, so for those of you who, who don't have context on this, essentially what happened is there's a semifinal event and they brought back a 2014 regional event, which I was, which I competed in, uh, which I had an interesting experience in. But anyways, this was not my key event. It was basically like you run, you do a legless rope climb, and you do that for 10 rounds. And before the event was um, started, Scott said, hey, there's there's quite a bit of slack on the floor of the rope, and it might be a, a hazard on the ankle, et cetera, as athletes drop off from the top. Well, it turns out that they didn't cut the rope, and turns out that he hurt his knee. Now, would he have hurt his knee either way? Who knows? But it just opened up this kind of idea of, you know, the standard with the rope and the semifinal. So that's where we're at. Let's dive in, brother. I think that that my issue was that how do you not pay attention and listen to someone with that level of experience? 
when Scott Pancheck speaks, there's no difference between him and Rich Froning speaking. They, they have seen a lot. And it's not that he is trying to make an event easier. He's trying to make it so that the athletes are protected. And I, I think that CrossFit's done a, a much better job in, in eliminating the circus behind a lot of the workouts, right? Making it so that, you know, like people are wearing vests in an obstacle course. It's like, you know what? The workout's hard enough just as an obstacle course. Why do you have to wear a 30 pound vest and risk people getting hurt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And yeah. and and I think that they've done a good job in in trying to to not let that happen. But to not listen to a Scott Pancheck is it says a lot. Where where's the influence that someone like that has? Why aren't you paying attention to it? And that 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 really concerned me that there's not an infrastructure in place. Now I just read Justin Berg's response on it and Basically, there. He 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 basically said that you know CrossFit has somebody in a position uh, as an employee that is responsible for addressing these issues um, and and safety, um, but there was a communication breakdown. So of course now all the future ropes uh, have all been cut for the next upcoming semifinals. But I mean, I think that this brings up a bigger picture. Like I had a long conversation with Dave Hippensteel, who is, you know, the, arguably the most dominant masters athlete out there. And he's 67 years old. And one of the problems that, that he talks about is who is writing workouts for 65 plus? We, yeah. Are they kids? Well, yeah. Or are they older people? Right. Do, do they understand that a 65 year old can't do these things? Right. Or they shouldn't. And th that that is a it opens up a bigger question is 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 are they really getting representatives like a Scott Pancheck, like a Dave Hippensteel in the in and supporting these events or workouts so that they hit the correct demographic properly? Like, why right. would a 55 year old woman do 150 GHDs in a competition? What's mm. the point? Yeah. And it's almost like when you're, you're, you're blind to that because you don't have that perspective, right? You're a 30 something mm -hmm. year old, uh, event coordinator and you can't, right. you, yeah, I get that. I get that. And I mean, I'll take, like, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no. So like I, I was going to say, like, so I'm 58 years old and, and uh, damn I'm, ripped, <laughs> damn in damn good shape. <laughs> well, so I, I, I could run a 540 mile right now and I'm not running Ooh. more than two days a week. Which at 58, it's legit. Well, I, I can't. What one of the things that that I never knew that this would be a limitation is I cannot, if I'm running on the open road or a trail, um, I, I cannot process the road oh, coming yeah. at me um, because of my eyesight or whatever and the speed, and 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 I can't process if I'm going to run into a pothole. And so when I run fast um, and I consider fast anything under six minutes, I can't, I got to go to a track because I'm not safe. And if, if, if I, I've never even knew that existed, but it's real. Mm. And, and that if you're not, if there's not athletes that are representative in these, these various demographics, that's a problem because they have yeah. no idea. Like should Dave Hippensteel be doing overhead squats? 
is it really for that population safe? Is that the message we're sending to other 65-year-olds out there who are looking for fitness? Is that really the test? And that's the question that I have. It, yeah, it really brings up a lot of questions. Well, I think bringing up Scott is really interesting because this guy's been yep. in the game forever. Totally. He's yep. been, if I'm not mistaken, he's placed top five, like five times, like something. And he's been in the games, if I'm not, I think 10 times. And so yep. for him to bring up a concern, and I think that concern about having the rope laying on the floor, it's oh. like a pretty well-known concern. Like it's not like un unknown, like in, right. in gyms Molly across Vollmer. the country. Yes. In gyms in, across it, the country. Yep. They know to take that rope off the floor because it's a trip hazard, it's an mm -hmm. ankle. And then in, in um, Scott's case, it, 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 it potentially uh, impacted his knee, right? I, they still don't know what happened to him. But, and, and, you know, I think this brings up, obviously, to your point, it yeah. brings up two things that I think are really important. Number one is, you know, are, is there going to be this cohort of people where you're not just, sing, you know, listening to your own echo chamber, right? You don't have five guys who are all in their ex, what, you know, this age group this demographic who want these things and, mm -hmm. and then make baking these workouts where you start them programming for other people. And then also, and that also goes male, female, right? Like when I would program yes. for women back in the day, I didn't have the same, I couldn't figure it out as well. So I would have, you know, Molly, Miranda, others help me program because I, I couldn't tailor it well enough. And then obviously it brings up this idea of the safety in the future. And I think that um, it's going to be an ongoing conversation, but Hey, yeah, that's not I, what today's I, podcast is about, but I just it was fresh on my mind because I thought that that was unfortunate. It's really is because he was really on his game. I mean, he really was, and he's you, you, as you said, he is one of the most dominant athletes to ever have um, entered the sport of CrossFit, and he's the only one that has performed at that high level that hasn't hit the podium. And this could have been his year, and and to have it taken away for something like Julie Fouché. Julie Fouché mm -hmm. in 2015 was my pick to win the CrossFit Games. She was truly dominating and then pops her Achilles by doing rebounding box jumps, which is a very high risk movement. And there's been some migration away from that with older age groups. And, and, and so I, I find that positive, but you got to pay attention to a pan check. He's not doing it to cheat. He's doing it for the, the the health and wellness of the community. That's right. That's right. And it wasn't a huge change that needed to happen. Hey, no. Cut the cut the rope. Yep. Put some duct tape around the bottom. Call it a day. Boom. Like I mean, right. right. Boom. Like so, when every gym in the every gym in the world does that, as you said, that, right? That's that. That's, that's right. The protocol. You know? Well, hey, on to something that's fresh <laughs> on my mind. So, <laughs> I have been working um, with quite a few athletes as of recently, specifically in the jujitsu space. And I find this to be really important. Um, so taking CrossFit aside, so CrossFit's a sport of fitness. You got to be good at all these different things, all good. But when you're trying to take fitness and apply it to other sports, or when you're trying to take fitness and apply it to real life, there becomes this factor of uh, the load on your body and diminishing returns. You could also say the same thing about CrossFit, by the way. But one of the things that I've been careful of when I'm working with our jiu-jitsu athletes is not beating them up so much that they can't go in and go train their specific sport because they're not trying to get better at working out. They're trying to get better at their sport, but the workouts are supposed to support that, not negate that. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, man, swimming is such a powerful tool that we mm -hmm. have not been taken into consideration because it's low impact. You can control your breathing. 
and so much more. So I want to talk today specifically about swim workout considerations, where to start benefits from a guy who were you California state champion at one no, point? No, 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 but I did. I did. Yeah. I, I made all American status. That was decent. Ooh. And yeah, multiple times out of the water first in Kona. Yeah. That's my man. See? Long time ago. Long time. Long hey, it doesn't matter. You can still run a faster mile, mile than most people. So, do, do so, you remember the time that we went to to New Brighton uh, Beach back uh, in the day with Garrett, uh, and we swam in the ocean, and you complained the whole time, dude? And there was you, no complaining. You, I thought I was going to get bit by a shark. I mean, well, well <laughs> and a week later, there was a great white spotted right there, dude. So the thing about that was, for context, okay, we were trying to put ourselves in the position of. I remember we were talking about, we're like, hey, we want to make it as shitty as possible. So when we get to the CrossFit Games, it it can't be as bad as this. And right. so one of the times, we went out there many of times, but one of the times we're just in compression shorts. It, if I could be mistaken, maybe I like put it on a pedestal. I think it was like 5 a.m. It was dark, just in our like underwear, basically. And me, <laughs> you, and Garrick go out for a swim. And you two yeah. are both very proficient swimmers and I'm trying to keep up. And I get caught in a kelp kelp bed and i start oh. freaking out dude that's what happened that's what happened that would happen that not that i don't think so you got attacked by kelp <laughs> that's why i didn't beat you in that mile race <laughs> uh, uh, oh boy okay yeah that's probably true good memory jay all right <laughs> no i think that that you know it's interesting that you bring up like jujitsu so i you remember the time we went down and, and uh, spent time with Leo Vera at Checkmat? Yeah, and, and, uh, yeah, and, and Mark Mushecha. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've been in contact with him. And you know, when Leo Vera was was you know an up and comer in jujitsu when he lived in Brazil, his coach was a triathlete, um, and he did Ironman, um, and he knew me from back in that day. And Leo Vera firmly believed in in building capacity. Um, especially for the the um, the top level jujitsu, where they're going ten minutes, and one of the things that Leo mentioned several times was that prone position. And the beauty of swimming is that it's in the same prone position, and so m more than fifty percent of your time is in that prone position. So yeah, running has value, but only when you're standing. And so it it has that one benefit of of it's it's more transferable um, to the movement of jujitsu because of that prone posture. Huh. And I didn't think about that because you're basically laying on the floor versus laying on the water, kind of. Or you're on kind the, of you're laying, right, but it's but it's horizontal. Yeah, you're and horizontal. So, correct. Yeah. Now the difference is is that you know your body weight is being supported by the water. Um, and so a bigger athlete doesn't get punished as bad um, in the pool uh, like they would on the mat um, because the weight is being supported. It's the same reason why in rowing, for example, you know, they have weight classes because, you know, the weight is supported by the object. And that's not true in the movement of running. You know, your body weight is supported, um, supporting itself. And so when we look at aerobic capacity, uh, what they do is they, they look at the milliliters of oxygen that you can consume and process per minute. And when you have the sport where you're having to support your own body weight, meaning like running, 
or a hill climber uh, that is, um, you know, like a cyclist, like that climbs the Pyrenees or the Alps, uh, they divide it by your kilograms of body weight. Uh, they, because you have to carry that weight up the hill or you have to carry it in the movement of running or in cross country skiing in rowing, they don't. And so that's why you, because you have more lean muscle mass, you have more muscle mass to consume and use that oxygen. You have an advantage. Uh, and so same thing holds true in swimming, but Leo Vieira loved it. And one of the things that we talked a lot about uh, was developing uh, the legs in the pool mm. because most of jujitsu is upper body work. And what he recognized was when lactic acid is created in the upper body, that lactic acid, it's really the acidity that we're worried about. And when that acidity builds up, it eventually will interfere with the muscle's ability to turn on. And if you don't clear it, you don't get rid of it, it will accumulate and eventually force you to slow. And when that happens in jujitsu, it's game right. over because you just pass the baton to death, meaning you're no longer in control. And so That's what right. happens is that acidity, it overloads those upper body muscle groups. And what happens is, is that that lactic acid is all it's trying to do is find available slow twitch fibers because your slow twitch fibers love the lactate as a fuel. Your slow twitch fibers actually use that lactate as a fuel to help it contract, help it move. And when it does use that as a fuel, it takes the acidity and removes it from the body. Well, the problem with it in jujitsu is that you quickly overload the muscles in the upper body. You know, the upper body muscle groups can handle about 50% of what the lower body can do. And so what happens quickly is that lactic acid hits the bloodstream and it's called lactate shuttle. And now it goes throughout your entire body. And it, all it's trying to do is find slow twitch fibers to pull that lactate out of the bloodstream and consume it as a fuel. And when it does, it takes the acidity out with it. And that allows the upper body to keep going. What Leo Vieira liked was, what if I can make the legs more aerobically efficient? So even right. though they're not doing anything on the floor, they're pulling that lack. Yes. Acid. Yeah. You, and that's how you get capacity. You have to think of the body as an entire structure, a system. And what are you leaving behind when you're on the mat? So let's, let's break this down for, you know, swim workouts are much more complex than I think people realize, but they're not that complex. Meaning, there's a lot of yeah. work rest, but it's, it's single modality, right? But you can start mm -hmm. getting into things like fins and, and all kinds of stuff. But at a high level, you and I have probably done, I mean, hundreds of swim workouts together. And where should people start when they're going for their swim workout? Should they create a baseline? Should they work off that baseline? Should they like, and, 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 then, and then let's talk about this idea of like, how come you could swim? and feel just like exhausted. Like I need to go eat a Thanksgiving dinner afterwards, but yet you don't ever get sore. Like what's up with that? Yeah, but you're not doing the pounding that you're doing in other things. Um, and, and so that's why swimming is looked upon as a active recovery sport. Well, the reality is, is that because of your inefficiency, Jason, you're never going to be able to do what you can do on dry land. You're not able because of your limitation. You just lack the experience to be able to put yourself into that position for a long amount of time. 
And so you bring up a good question. Where would you start? And the number one thing what we have to realize is, is the reason why you can't generate that level of fatigue is because you don't have the technique. Well, how can I give you technique? The way I do it is, is I give you swim fins and swim fins are designed to make your lower body track the trail that your upper torso breaks in the water. So what you want to think about is as you're moving through the water, your shoulders, your torso is breaking the plane of water and you need your hips and your legs to stay within that plane. And the mistake that a lot of people do is they have a bad kick. They don't have the mobility. They don't have the range of motion in the ankles. They are not able to point their toes like a ballet dancer. Well, what happens is, is that because their hips and their kick is weak, they end up splaying their legs, which goes outside of the plane of the torso. The other thing, when they kick, they bend at the knee. And every time the knee breaks the plane of the chest and the stomach, they slow down. And so that's why you would see a non-swimmer when they swim, sometimes they're almost going backwards because the knee, they're bending. And the kick is always from the hip. It's from, you should feel it in the hip flexors and the high hamstring. If I give you a pair of fins, you know what's going to happen is you'll figure that out right away. And so now with the aid of a device, you're able to actually feel what it is like to be a good swimmer. And that's important because eventually your non-fin swimming will eventually come into what it feels like to swim without fins. I mean, and you're going to go, or with fins, and you're going to go, oh, that's the feeling I, I was searching for. And you'll know with fins right away that you hit the sweet spot. And so okay, fins so are a great tool. Let's pause for a second. So before we even get into five by 100 and this and this and this, we're talking about swim technique. Now, in general, do you recommend freestyle? Is that a good place to start? For sure. Don't even play around. Yeah. I mean, I know when we went to the pool the first time with Camille, I mean, you wanted to do sets of side stroke. And I was like, bro. No side stroke here. That's, that's not a fifth stroke. There's only four strokes. <laughs> so, so talking about freestyle is, um, by the way, I had messed around with the side stroke when I would go for like super long, long, long swims. But anyways, back to freestyle. No, but, but the, so, okay, let's, let's talk about that really quick. That is important. So I learned a valuable lesson uh, with Frazier. I, uh, when he got into trouble once at the CrossFit Games um, in the water, um, and, and what happened was, is that he was trailing the faster swimmers drafting, like I taught him how to draft. And unfortunately, that swimmer was more than the, you know, 15 to 20% savings by being on someone's feet. They were probably 25% faster. And so the first thing that he did is accelerated his kick in order to stay with that swimmer. Well, the problem was, is that his kick was aerobically inefficient and that sucked all of his oxygen out. And the next thing you know, he's above lactate threshold, boom, all that lactate, lactic acid builds, the acidity appears with the muscles. And next thing you know, he, he's exploding like anybody would do in the gym when they went too hard. The beauty in the gym is, is when you blow up, you just lean over and put your hands on your knees and you wait to recover. Right. I didn't realize that the problem when that occurs to a non-swimmer is there's a risk of drowning. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so for sure I, there's a risk of drowning. 
I didn't know. I, I and and so it was like when we talked about it afterwards. I I it was like he went to side stroke, and so it made me realize right away like there has to be a backup plan for a non-swimmer, and that is side stroke. So what I'm saying is, back in 2012 and 13, you were right. You should have that fifth stroke as a backup, just so you don't die. Okay, so but leaving the side stroke aside, um, <laughs> uh, talking about freestyle. So one of the things that I really learned from you was this idea of the hips dragging, right? And when yeah. you think about someone going across the water and you're keeping the hips up, it creates this plane, like exactly what you're talking about and basically just glides across the water. But as soon as my hips drop, it's basically like you have a built-in anchor going across the water. Right. And, you know, early on, you know, I think Rich was doing that a little bit. I know I was definitely doing it. And do you, so the fins, what they do is they help you, they help you learn how to kick from the hip flexors. So almost like straight leg, right? Yep. And then do they also then help you with your hips dropping or is that where the pad underneath your hips come into play? No. So they do, they help keep your lower, your lower torso, like your trunk yeah, in alignment with the upper body and how it breaks the water. Remember your shoulders and your chest are going to break the water, the plane of the water. Everything that follows needs to be in that plane. Got it. Everything. And the fins. And yeah. So fins, like one of the, the biggest weaknesses that non-swimmers have is they're not able to flex their foot. Yeah. They just can't. And, right. and so they don't have the surface area yet. They don't have the ankle mobility yet to be able to get enough surface tension to propel themselves. And the other is, is that they don't realize the kick doesn't occur from bending the knee. Your leg is, is fairly straight when you kick. The power is from the hip flexor and the glutes, the high hamstring. And you feel that activation with the fin. You feel it. If that knee is bending, guaranteed it breaks the torso, the plane of the water that the torso is breaking, and it's going to slow you down. So there's two types of fins. One is a longer fin, um, and it's not like the long one that the military uses, and it's not a diving fin. It's a little duck fin. Yeah, some um, of these you, some of these long ones. Have you seen the ones that like free divers right. use? Yep. Yep. I, yep. And so, and then there's a little jammer one that's maybe an, an inch or two longer than your, your toes. Now, the long fin, the purpose of it is, is for long, like strength, you know, there's more surface area. So it's for slower kicking, longer sets, and it builds up your strength. But the shorter one, the reason why it came into play was it's not specific to what you would use in natural swimming without fins. So the long fin, it's so much surface area that you can't kick it at the normal rate that you would. And so they came out with this little, they call it a jammer fin and it does help you, but you can keep, keep the same kick frequency uh, that you would normally do without fins. And that's why it's there. So every athlete that I work with has two sets of fins. They have the short one and then they have the longer one. Okay. And I have to ask just to start off with, if you were to recommend one purchase one time, would you start with the jammer fin? Yeah, because it does offer enough. Um, it just depends how weak you are as a swimmer. Um, you know, one of the things that I tell CrossFit athletes all the time is don't get in the pool unless it's, you're swimming a mile. It's a waste of time. Well, 
sometimes people need some assistance in order to get that to occur. And a longer set of fins makes that happen. In the beginning, I know a lot of people think it's like, oh, I want to do high intensity. That's the best bang for the buck. Well, you don't have the aerobic base yet. So enjoy your lack of fitness and just focus on time. Just get in the water and get some time in. Don't worry about speed yet. I mean, there's a lot of time to suffer. Get in that base mile, build up the aerobic conditioning. I mean, for jujitsu, I honestly would recommend them doing 50% of their workout in fins and building up the muscular stamina of their hip flexor. I mean, I, I would think, I mean, you're the expert, Jay, but the hip no, flexor well, is I, one of the most important muscle groups in jujitsu. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 speaking for this audience in particular, but I'm I'm also speaking in generalities. I, I love this idea of the jammer fin and getting started. Yeah, and jujitsu. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm also I've been thinking a lot about the adductor and the hip flexor and how they're incorporated yep. when you're holding someone. Um, it's just yep. been something that's been on my mind. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you said something there. It's like, hey, don't even get in the water if you're not prepared to swim a mile. And so, when someone's just getting started, let's assume for the sake of argument, they're they really, they really don't have much exposure to swimming other than just like recreational, right? They could swim enough not to die, but yeah. when it comes to, you know, swim strokes and things like that, what, I love the idea of talking about the fins because it really correlates to the, to the hips, but what is the next, what is the next thing to focus on? Should we focus on, if you were to give a simple kind of feedback loop for someone when they're reaching and pulling through the water and then kicking while we're on technique subject, is there some takeaway from the upper body perspective that you think that someone should start with before they really focus on time and things like that. So we talked about the lower body and, and the issue the the yeah. upper body and the number one problem that's that non-swimmers have is, is their breathing mechanics. Mm. Uh, if, if you think about it, the, the opposite is true with the upper body, meaning the legs sink. And when non-swimmers take a breath, their head goes up high. And imagine their you belly your head up because their lungs inflate. Well, they're afraid that they're going to choke on water when they get the breath. So uh, they believe that yeah. they have to exhale all of their air and then inhale all of the air. And their breathing mechanics are messed up in that way. You never exhale all of your air in the movement of swimming. You exhale portions of your air. So my lungs are abnormally large. I mean, that's why I was decent in endurance. And, and so if, if I push all my air out, it's 6.2 liters of exhale. Well, if I do that, I'll sink. So what I'll do is push out half of that. And now I essentially have a, a life vest on. And that allows me to stay buoyant. Great swimmers, they pivot around this buoyancy which allows their feet to stay up in the water. So if you watch me float, my legs would sink. But what I do is I intentionally pivot around this buoyancy. That takes tremendous feel. But the mistake that people make, non-swimmers, is when they take the breath, they lift that head up high and the shoulders come up, which forces the hips down. Even with fins, those hips are going to fall. So you have to always remember that you want to minimize head height. Even when you see like, like triathletes swimming in the ocean and they're sighting, you sight by popping your head up and you just get your eyes out of the water. 
You're not breathing here. The way you swim and you, you sight is the head comes up, you look back down and then breathe. It's a two-part process. The non-swimmer does a whole water polo stroke and keeps their head up and goes like this. And that is a incredible waste of energy. Right. Because the head, the head doesn't come up to breathe. The head comes to the side to breathe. And for That's you, correct. what type of stroke rate do you recommend to start with? So for me, you know, it's like left, right, breathe. Like, like I'm, I'm breathing like basically every other, well, it you depends on like if I feel like my yeah. heart rate, it depends if I feel my heart rate really start to jack up. I'll slow that back down. But what's a, what's a good place to start? Because I actually think this is a great topic. One of the reasons this why is I love the best topic. This is the best topic. The, Long this is by ago. far the best. So when we talk tell about breathing. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Oh, go tell your story. Because I'm, I'm so excited about this. About you. Because this no, is. Go, this is me. it. We're running. No, don't talk about me. I'm, we're running and I'm breathing like shit. And I'm like, huh, 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 huh. And you're like, Jason, you're not swimming. He goes, you can breathe anytime you want to. Get your heart rate under control. And I remember when you said that to me at the time, I was like, you know, I, I didn't quite, but when we got in the pool, it reminded me like, Hey, when you're in the pool, you can't breathe whenever you want because your head's under the water. You can't breathe there. You have to find a rhythm. And now I've taken that into everything else I'm doing. I think about each different thing that I'm doing, like the sport of swimming, we have to find your breathing rhythm. It's because of you yep. on the track that then correlated that with me. So let's talk about breathing. But that is the truth. I thought you were going to tell the story about when you, I, I would jam your elbow and you threatened to fly me over the fence. No, 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 no. That, that was another day. <laughs> <laughs> no. So we talked about breathing uh, previously and, and you're absolutely right. I, I think that, that, you know, breathing like, like anything, if, if you look it up, it's gotten very complicated and, you know, people are talking about nasal breathing and you breathe in through the mouth and out through the nose and, and people are losing sight of what is the most important thing in terms of breathing. And there's two core things. And when we talk about swimmers, they, without a doubt, have those two things nailed better than any other athlete. The worst, the worst athletes are weightlifters and gymnasts. They never establish the two core principles when it talks about breathing. Remember, the brain is responsible for the recruitment of your motor units. The brain is. So imagine the brain has no concept of when the next dose of energy is coming in. Well, how does it not know you're going to go into a one-minute breath hold? So because of that, when it's random breathing, the brain is never going to free up the maximal amount of muscle fibers to make whatever you do easier. So if it's random, then whatever you do, just be aware it's harder than it needs to be. And I have people talk to me all the time about this. It's like, I have no idea what happened. I had the race of my life. Well, probably what happened is, is they locked into a reliable and predictable breathing pattern. Swimmers without a doubt have the best rhythm, breathing rhythm because they have to. So for me, I like to breathe every stroke. Now, what's interesting is that I carry that same breathing cadence onto the bike and onto the run. So when I swim, I go and it's breath, breath, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. 
you know when the next dose is coming. One, two, three, breath. One, two, three, breath. It's coming every four. Now, when I run, it's four steps. When I ride a bike, it's two RPMs. Mm. And that's when I'm really working hard. That's right when I'm on that edge of just going into, you know, above lactate threshold. But that rhythm is very, very important because now the brain knows when the next dose of energy is coming. It is a reliable and predictable pattern. Swimmers, without a doubt, have demonstrated that this is the way to go for every sport. Have you seen working with CrossFit athletes in the pool has taught them this particular skill? I imagine it has to across the board. Oh, I know yeah. it did for me, but yep. yeah. So that's why you see athletes though that bilateral breathe. They actually prefer breathing on a six count because, right, they're not breathing like I do. They hold for one more and they breathe on the left side. Now, I never learned when I was a kid that way. And so it, it, it never turned out to be as efficient. But you see someone bilaterally breathe, they're going to breathe when they run on a six count naturally. Huh. And so, you know, we talked about the feet being like a guide towards the hips and then the, the hips being a, a key component. And then obviously you talk about your upper body and we're talking about breathing cadence and kind of breathing out to the side, which I think is key. One of the things that I really learned early with swimming was this idea of like lat stamina and pulling my mm -hmm. arm to the water. So when you think about freestyle, what, what is the role of your hands and what should you be thinking about? So a lot of people think that you're squeezing your fingers together and you're not. So what you're really doing is you're developing what they call this feel of the water and this feel, it, it, and it takes practice. It takes years of experience. Um, what you want to do is you want to have the hands actually relaxed and what you're trying to do is create the optimal distance between your fingers to maintain surface tension with the water. So what I'm doing is I'm increasing the surface area of my hand by keeping, not like where they're pushed together, I'm actually opening them up and creating almost like a web-like hand. And that's what they talk about in terms of feeling the water. And so what you want to do is you want to actually get a small hand paddle, increase the surface of your hand and get a feel of what it's like to really grab that water. And that is a very difficult thing for new swimmers because they don't know what I'm talking about. Feel right. You put right, a pair right. of hand paddles on and right away, you know, if you've twisted your hand to one side, the other, and you've lost the tension of the water. It is the ability to maintain the tension of the water from the catch all the way down past your hip. And that's important. Non-swimmers, they don't have a good feel. They're not aware of that surface tension from that catch all the way through the stroke. And that's the most important thing. Are you feeling the water? So would you recommend then as a beginner athlete getting into the pool, Obviously, the fins are a great recommendation. Would you also recommend then something for your hands to feel that pull the water from inserting at the top to pulling down to the hip? Because as you said, and I hadn't thought about this before, if you rotate your hand early or rotate it in a weird way, you won't feel the water the same way. But That's right. But, but yeah. that's where a paddle comes in. A paddle is right. going to 
to highlight that and it'll emphasize like something's wrong with your hand mm. when it's off you don't notice it and 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 you don't notice that that loss of grip in the water um like good swimmers they prefer swimming in salt water because of a better feel it's it feels thicker huh and so imagine uh, swimming in like like thick water yeah well i like the salt water because i feel like i'm more buoyant but maybe it's I, true. maybe I, yeah no um, it's true it, and so when you're thinking about these components it would you start with both the fin and the hand at the same time or would you pick one or the other to start with so you you want to think of kicking as a drill so there's all kinds of drills that you can do you can do like a catch-up drill where you have one hand out in front and you're just swimming and alternating. You could take where you're having, where you have your thumb, scrape the lower part of your thigh before it exits the water. You could do a fingertip grab across, you know, the top of the water to teach your high elbow coming around. So there's lots of those drills, but so the kick is a drill, but if we, we look at learning how to feel the water, we want to do it in isolation. So like, you know, in, in lifting, if you take an Olympic lift, there's so many things that, that are going on at the same time that if you could overload an athlete, there's too much information. Right. So let's isolate it. And if we're focusing on upper body, let's focus on one aspect of upper body. Let's eliminate the kick. So they have a device, which is called a pool boy. And it's a, a foam um, piece device that, that slides up between your legs. And what you do is you pinch it with your legs and the buoyancy allows you to keep your hips and your legs up following the plane of the torso. So you could have a small little kick in there. Um, it's not restrictive like you have an inner tube tied around your, your ankles, but it, it allows you to isolate upper body. Now, now, since the lower body is, is functioning properly, you could focus on your, your mechanics and that could be a multitude of things. You could isolate, like I said, a certain drill, or you can isolate that feel, or you could isolate your breath. Hmm. Yeah. So that's why, you know, you, you, you want to record like equipment is important and, you know, there is, um, a snorkel device that is also out there that will come out and straight over your forehead. Now, a lot of people are like, boy, that, why would I ever? Well, right. the reason yeah. why is because you don't have to worry about your breathing, mm. getting and interfering and, and having your mechanics from that. You're taking so, out one of those factors, right? It's, it's almost like doing Olympic lifting, but doing it from the hang or doing exactly it from, or blocks or, or blocks or whatever. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Huh. It, because it's too complicated. Yeah, it's too complicated. And, and that's why swimming is a sport that should be taught when you're young, because kids don't overthink it. They just do it. Adults are like, I don't understand what's happening with, you know, exactly. Tell me when I, my hand is, is coming in the water. Should it be at midline? Should it be my thumb crossing over? And does it follow that whole way down? It's like, they're overthinking it. Kids just get in there and go. Hmm. And, and so, yeah, so that's why go, I mean, so you get some equipment, you work on these drills, you fundamentally, right. You need exposure. And so mm -hmm. if, if we're trying to get athletes exposure. Where do you start? I mean, is it just, Hey, you know, 
uh, let's just say you're in a, uh, I don't know what, a uh, 25 meter pool, right? Mm-hmm. It's, let's just say it's down and back, you know, rest, recover one-to-one hit that for 10 rounds. I mean, is that a good place to start? I mean, wh- where would you start? Yeah. So again, I would start out if I was new to swimming or I was out of shape and mm. swimming, I would, I would really focus on my, my easier intensities. What I would do is build up my aerobic foundation, my base. Uh, remember your aerobic energy is using your oxygen as, as fuel. Um, that, that oxygen is, is converting those carbohydrates or fat into fuel to, to contract your muscles. And, uh, one of the weaknesses that people have is that their muscles in the movement of swimming, because they haven't done it, um, is, is they're not aerobically, uh, capable, um, ignoring just the stamina, their, their inability to move and utilize oxygen is, is inefficient. And if you think about most people, the legs are, are without a doubt, the largest muscle group in the body. So the reason why I support and I promote, you know, swimming with fins and especially kicking, getting a kickboard and using short fins and long fins is because you build up the aerobic capacity of the largest muscle group in the body. Mm. And anybody can grab a kickboard and a pair of fins and look beautiful in their kick, anybody. So you, what you need to do is, is, is find within your swim workout as inexperienced as you are, get some fins and a kickboard and focus on the largest muscle group in the body. If you can do that and develop the aerobic capacity, of the legs, the arms, whatever you're doing downstream with the arms is going to be a whole heck of a lot easier. And that's where people should really start. They should really like recognize if we're looking at muscle groups, where should I focus on and how can I work good mechanics while I'm building up my, my base. And you know what? The kick is the obvious choice. So I like the idea. I write just kick, mostly kick workouts for people, especially when they're new, we're going to swim twice a week. One's going to be a standard swim workout and the other is going to be mostly kicking because we need to build up the aerobic capacity of the kick, the legs. Yeah. I, and yes, I do. This is exciting for me because I, 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 I know, I know some people listening are probably like, Oh yeah. Like, like me, I'm, I'm like a little kid right now because I've been there before where I've been on a kickboard. I've tried to use my legs the right way and you just feel your hip flexors, your quads, you just light up. And this yep. is a great place to start because you're right. You're not going to look foolish. You're not going to look stupid. You're not going to have a risk of basically drowning because you have a click kickboard. You can yep. really do it in a in and and not feel you know that like a fish out of water, and then transition right. into your next step. And and exactly, exactly. It, That's when you would transition. That you would and that, so you would do that for a little bit and then start working on other types of of the the breathing rhythm. I just think has so much value to that as well. Is there a way to work the breathing rhythm without actually swimming or is that, or is that kind of not re- relatable? Yeah. So the, the breathing and swimming is very unique. There's not another sport that does it. And, and it's because when you are exhaling, it is a long exhale. I mean, you are exhaling before you're a long one. I mean, you're essentially exhaling right after your head goes 
straight in the water again, but you're pursing your lips together and you're slowly pushing out air until you turn your head to the side. The forehead creates a nice pocket that you can safely take a portion of a full lung breath, inhale. And so uh, breathing is, is one of those in swimming that it's, it takes a lot of practice. And for adults, it's highly frustrating. That's why using a, a, one of those snorkels, um, is, is, it's a good idea so that you can focus on and isolate upper body mechanics. But, yeah. the, but if we talk about next steps, uh, once what, and, and this is important, you need to develop gears when you swim. You can't just have swimming speed. Like, remember when you started running with me, you just had one speed, fast. You I just mean, had course. fast, right? I mean, that was it. Hey, you I couldn't run slow, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. You couldn't, you just like couldn't run slow. And, and so you have to have gears because every speed recruits different muscle fibers. And so what you want to do is you want to develop the slowest of the slow twitch fibers by going slow and building their stamina, because that's where your volume, your capacity is going to come from is those slow twitch fibers. But you also want to build up those fast twitch fibers for, where that pure speed comes from and everything in between. So think of it as like your 10 second running sprint speed all the way to walking speed, that whole spectrum. Now, there is something called critical swim speed. It's a formula that takes into account two different distances in the movement of swimming. For me, I like to compare uh, 50 meters and 400 meters. So what they're doing is they're looking at your finishing time in 50 meters or yards, uh, whatever unit of measure you are using, it's gotta be the same. And they look at the, the speed in that 50 meter distance and they compare that meters per second against what you do for 400 meters. Okay. And you know that you can't maintain your 50 meter speed for 400 meters, your speed slows. Right. And, and that's what's called a coefficient of slowing or a fatigue factor. That slope, that rate of fatigue from an anaerobic time domain to an aerobic time domain or a fast twitch to a slow twitch tells you a lot about the athlete, their strengths and weaknesses. But critical swim speed, this formula, what it will do is it will calculate your rate of fatigue as well as your sustainable pace if you've got the stamina. It will also, and I'll send this to you, Jay, and you can share yeah. it with your, your listeners. But what they do is they plug that in and it will calculate their, their, all their five paces. All, so when you talk about five paces, so correct me if I'm wrong, we had a 50 meter yard. Uh, I would call that a high intensity effort. I mean, that's down and back. You're, you're it's grinding. It's a sprint. It's if a sprint. Turn, just do your thing, right? It's a hundred percent effort. Yep. Yep. And then 400, you know, it's still pretty, I mean, that well, that's a lot longer, actually. That's down back a bunch of times. But oh. yeah, that's, yeah. That's, 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 yeah, that's, yeah, for, for non-swimmer, that could take them nine, 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so we'll put this in the podcast show notes with the um, critical swim speed is what I wrote down. Now, I'll send it to you. That provides you five different kind of like concepts for, for what, for what distances then does it oh, provide? Oh, speeds. So there's speeds. Like, so, so, oh, okay. so think of it as five speeds. So you would have easy speed, moderate speed. You would have like a lactate threshold speed. You would have a, a, a race pace, like a VO2 max speed. And then you'd have sprint speed. So 
what this does is it breaks it up into these different gears. And those are the core gears. Um, and so when you're designing workouts, you can use a specific target time to, to gauge your level of intensity. And that's important because it, when you design a workout, there's always these three core qualities in swimming. We're targeting the distance. Um, and if, if I add more distance into your, your swim diet, then the body's going to adapt to be able to do more volume. The same thing holds true. If I add more sprint speed, you're going to get faster. Well, same right. thing holds true in recovery. If, if I gradually reduce your recovery between intervals, then your body's going to learn how to recover faster. So we manipulate those. We want to manipulate those qualities though, around the three main speeds so that our entire muscle fiber spectrum gets developed. And so, and by the way, if people want that from you, uh, they can just go to aerobiccapacity.com if they want to be able to look at those workouts. Uh, they could actually go. Yeah. I give away. So the initial workouts that I program for T, I give away for free. They're in, yeah. If they go to my Instagram, uh, they can just go to the link and they're free. They could just download them for that. Okay. And, and so I have to ask, you know, you have an expertise in this run, bike, swim, aerobic capacity, which is now carried over in a bunch of different movements that, mm -hmm. you, that you've explored. You have seminars, you work with people all over the world from a, from a purely aerobic capacity perspective. What do you think has more bang for the buck? Swim, bike, or run? I'm just, I'm just out of curiosity. Assuming someone's developed a moderate level of proficiency. Without question, it's running. So here's what's interesting to me. Without is question, it's running. Okay. With, without question, because you need to be able to support your body weight. So you're, you, Jay, so here's the deal. You, and you don't, I don't even know if we've ever talked about this, but you are an anomaly. You are, you are truly one of the rarest individuals that I've had the opportunity to ever to work with. And it's crazy. My good looks or what? <laughs> Bro, come on. <laughs> I'm serious. Like you. So I mean by anomaly is this, you could do a, a 2000 meter row and you could do it in six minutes and 10 seconds because you're big. And that's not a surprise, right? Like you're big, you've got a lot of lean muscle mass. And because of that muscle mass, you've got more mitochondria to consume and use that oxygen and convert it into fuel. That's why you're faster on a rower than me. But why is it that you can get down to a 520 mile and weigh what you weigh? It's because you can manage your size. Bigger people pay the price when they have to support their body weight. You didn't. You're an anomaly in that you can manage your size. You're big, yet you can support it. And that is rare. Froning, Frazier, and you. That's it. I've never come across other people that are like that. Um, and, and we saw it when you and I would do those trail runs. When we would run uphill, you would destroy me because my efficiency went out the window and that's where your power kicked in. Your size didn't hurt you, not only supporting your weight on flat ground, but it didn't hurt you in going up, which is a double-edged sword. And so you say that running is like the, the, 
the component, but it's because you're supporting your weight. But if you were worried about overtraining, if you were worried about overloading the system, would you still prefer like an athlete to run over row? I mean, excuse me, run over swim, or is that compounding get impact? Or, or do you say, Hey, if you run efficiently and you're not running, you know, miles and miles and miles, you'll actually get more bang for the buck being on the track for a two to three mile session than you would swimming. It's the most, what we're talking about is the most efficient use of your time. Yes. So, exactly. so if we, okay. So what's interesting is the sport with the least percentage fatigue, meaning, so what I mean by this is your, your rate of fatigue as you move into longer and longer time domains. So when you go from one minute to three minutes to five minutes to 10 minutes to an hour, your rate of fatigue between those three sports, swimming, cycling, and running. Swimming, the rate of fatigue is the least percentage. So meaning you could hold on to a higher percentage of your top end speed as you move into longer distances. Cycling is next. Rowing is next after that. Running is double the rate of fatigue of rowing, double. Meaning your speed slows in the movement of running at twice the rate that it does in rowing and more than 2x and almost 3x in the movement of swimming. So more than 2x in cycling and almost 3x in the movement of swimming. That's what's compelling. Meaning that's how hard it is to support body weight for anybody. So you really got me thinking here because I was really trying to create this idea of developing um, aerobic capacity through the pool as a, as a catalyst to kind of deload the body. But if I'm thinking about time bang for your buck and access to a pool, I mean, swimming does, or, uh, running does come with its benefits, right? I mean, you could do it anywhere. And as long as you could get on a track and you can start creating, and I mean, you and I have talked about this, you know, endlessly, which we should do another session on just how to, how to prepare for your runs, right? Because so, that's a whole nother beast. But think about you, like what did, when you worked on your running and, and it wasn't that we ran fast, hmm. we didn't run fast. We were developing your entire spectrum of fibers, the slowest of the slow walking to your 10 second sprint. But we spent a lot of time going slow. And how did that translate to all the other things that you were doing in the gym while standing. I'm talking weightlifting, back squats, front squats, snatches, right? Clean and jerks. Anything that you did standing, those standing muscles are now, they have more capacity, they have more stamina, and they're not passive anymore. They're active. And when something is heavy, you recruit all your muscle fibers, your fastest of the fast to the slowest of the slow. Well, what if you don't train your slow, then they're not available. That's right. And, and, and so if you want to get back on the track and I, I mean, look, I could talk for to you for another three hours, <laughs> but just, I had this question. Yes. I've been as of recently been more interested in like barefoot type stuff, like not crazy, yeah. but you know, I'm intrigued and you know, I spend a decent amount of time on the jujitsu mat. So I, I'm barefoot a lot, yeah. but right now I've been trying different shoes out the go ruck shoe, this, you name it. What shoe are you kind of rocking right now as far as like an entry level to kind of have like a minimal approach to your kind of reinforcing this midfoot strike? 
where would you start? You say, hey, fuck all that, right? Let's just get a big cushion because you probably run poorly anyways. Make sure you have some protection. What do you think? Chris Hinshaw is currently taking off his headset, and I think he's going to get a shoe. <laughs> this episode brought to you by... <laughs> oh, dope. <laughs> what shoe is that, man? This is the Adidas Adi Zero, and um, I'm going to show you something there. So you could see where I land. <laughs> can you can you see my midfoot strike right there? Oh, wow. So for those of you who are listening to this, uh, Chris is holding up a... a Adidas shoe that has like a pink bottom, but in one particular area, it, is that worn off that white? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's the other one. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. Okay. So what they, so if you look at this shoe, what's interesting is on the bottom, the wear character, we're supposed to be talking about swimming, but so this is a midfoot strike, right? Right yeah. here. Right. This actually, they talk about a toe strike, but this wear characteristic where I land is on right next to my baby toe. So that's how they came up with toe strike is that it hits the baby toe. So when I relax my ankle as it comes through the swing phase of my stride, I land right here. Now, what's rad about this shoe, and, and I, you and I have seen and heard a lot of hype from people. Oh, it's the greatest thing since, you know, you, man, this is game changer. And it's just, it's just gimmicks. So this shoe, I saw that a woman ran a 103 half marathon and set a world record in it in Prague. And, and so I was like, man, I got to check this thing out. Well, Heidi Dude, takes I care of it. And she, oh, Dude, it's, so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you because I'll send you even the paperwork that I did because I did a 5K in my old shoe and then ran a rested five minutes and did a 5K in this shoe. And this yeah. shoe was over 30 seconds faster at the same heart rate in the second 5K. Anyway. What's cool is these, you can see the black lines. Can you see those black lines? You told me about this before, like months, if not a year ago, talking about Dude. like the rods that yeah. are in there. And, yeah. And it, it, I have never had a shoe that makes me want to run fast. I mean, it, it, it literally, I did a five mile run when I tested the first time and I said to myself, man, I feel like running an 800 meters fast. And that's what I did as I ran an 800 meter fast and I hadn't run an 800 meter fast. And I did, that's when I realized like, wow, COVID was pretty rad. Like I got fast at running. Yeah. So that's the Adidas and this Zero shoe. is what it's called? Adi Zero. Yep. Adi Zero. Dude, mm -hmm. so I, I love got a, how fired up you're getting. Dude, I love how fired up you're getting. I love the fact you're able to pull it up. Like the way you feel about that shoe is the way that I feel recently about the cold plunge that I got. Like I want to go scream from the hilltops about the impact it's had on my life and other people's life, like my daughter's life. But I'm, I'm I was just listening to Joe Rogan talk about that and Dude. the and and his protocol of saunas and 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 cold plunge and timelines and yeah, awesome. Dude, so I, but that's why that's why deep. I'm <laughs> sorry, but that's why I, you and I can keep going. Yeah, go ahead. But that's why I think that that that's what we should be doing. Like, don't hype up something that doesn't. Come on. That's why I don't I, I don't have a lot of sponsorship things out there. I don't. I only want things that I will use because it provides me value. Right. Otherwise, I'm not going to use it. I won't. I won't touch the thing. And this shoe, I, I mean, I spoke to Adidas this morning even, and I'm like, look, I'll buy the product. So if we can't get something going, I'm still going to buy it just so you know. It's that good. Right. It's right. that good. 
it's Dude. a game changer. It was like when I did triathlons and and there's a a product that um, a component manufacturer in Italy, Campagnolo, and back in the 80s was when they made the first disc wheels. So no spokes. What they did is they eliminated them and they created two monolithic Kevlar spokes that that covered you know the the wheel from the hub to the rim. Well, Wind Tuttle's test said that in a 40 kilometer time trial, 25 miles, which was a standard Olympic distance back then and still is, um, it was a minute of savings. Wow. These discs were $2,500. And I mean, we're talking about 1989, $2,500. With current inflation so that's like, rates, that, that's $100,000. At least, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so because of my sponsorship with them, I had it for free. Yeah. It gave me an unfair advantage. I was able to go a, a minute faster or I could go the same speed and now start my run completely rested. That's a game changer. And so that's where I feel like, like athletes, like it's, it's hard to tell if something is good or not. Like what makes it great? Well, I tested it. Yeah. I mean, I'll send, I'll send you that too. So you could read about it, but that's, it's legit. And I, I haven't come across products that often that are, are, not just gimmicks dude well look i we we're creeping over an hour we got to sit down and talk again this time about run next time we got to talk running oh and we got to still follow up with kelly and you on kids and fitness a, that episode was great um was so dude, great. i always love chatting with you and i love getting insight you know the reason why i'm on the phone with you right now is because i really want to know hey what do you think about swimming i i want to incorporate this for athletes that i know but now I'm having a little bit of a, but if I am going to go with the swimming model, we, we have huge considerations, but is the best bang for the buck going there? Or should it be, um, you know, cause they're already coming into our gyms doing our NC fit workouts, but I'm trying to then get in some additional aerobic capacity. So I think the run could be a good option. So keep in mind, the movement patterns are different. And so if I was going to contrast something running is opposite to swimming vertical versus horizontal. And there is a good complementary, you know, value there. So, I mean, you know, I grew up swimming and, and I'm grateful for it. I, I feel sorry for adults that learn now. And it's such a frustrating struggle. For sure. And, and, and that's the surefire way to get people to quit if it, it, it's never enjoyable. So that's why I bring up, get some equipment if you're going to do it and at least find a place where you can actually feel good about yourself while doing it because you're going to be littered with frustration in the beginning. It's, it's something that's hard for an adult to learn. That's good. Advice. That's why. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. And, and no, Chris, I, so I know you always have exciting stuff going on at aerobic capacity. You guys have seminars all over the country, all over the world. Um, you know, for people who want to go to a seminar, go hear from you in person. I mean, it's, it's evident that when we're talking, you have a wealth of knowledge that's un untapped. I mean, not untapped, I shouldn't say it, but you have a wealth of knowledge and it continues to grow even further every seminar you do. Where should people go to go find your seminars? If they go to aerobic capacity, aerobiccapacity.com, uh, they can go to the event page there. All the seminars are now listed, um, always have been. And um, yeah, I, I, I really, you know, it's interesting. I just did a seminar up in Boston um, over the weekend and I was reflecting on afterwards. The content in the course, it's 
I, I, it's incredible. I, I, I genuinely, and I, I, I really do consider it. It's perfect. And what's beautiful about the content is that it's empowering for the person to come in and listen. What I mean by that is like, it's not overwhelming from a technical standpoint. We don't run and we talk about these things that you didn't think about in the same way that I did. You knew it, but you just didn't put the pieces together the same way. And so when people leave, they leave with this like invigoration, like they're fired up because they ran out of ideas. They weren't sure in direction. And now what we did is we just put the pieces together and it's like the light bulb turned on. It's like, I knew all of it. And now it's clear. And that's what's beautiful is like, because people have put in a lot of work. I mean, think about it, how many seminars that you've been to and 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 done, and and people are looking for growth and education, but it does get confusing. And this thing, what it does, is it puts it together: energy systems, muscle fibers, and how to program and assess. And yep. I tell your story all the time, and people love it. You're a good old mile for time. Oh, dude, the, the clock's still yeah. going, or the one that? Oh, no, I no, told that, that one, one too. Yeah. I told that one. I, you know, you, you, I could do a book on you. Oh, man. I, can, I have your impersonation down too, by the way. It's really good. Dude, we got to do it in person. So, <laughs> oh man. Well, Chris, until next time, brother, uh, always appreciate chatting with you. Thank you so always. much for sharing your knowledge and, uh, Thank you, we'll make sure we add, uh, the, in the podcast show notes, uh, uh, the, the links and the critical swim speed. So thank you yep. so much. Yep. Thanks.